I want you to notice too that the, the graphic uh, on the slide shows a giant star. For you biblical purists, we know, I know, that that came later. <laughs> All right? I don't want anybody coming up after the service. Did you know? <laughs> I do know. And, and that's true because it was there to lead the magi in, you know, the, the wise men, the wise guys. I call them the wise guys. Um, <laughs> That they came from the east and all of that. And that was probably two years or so. I mean, nobody knows the exact dates after the birth of Christ. So, uh, but I thought it was a cool graphic and a good background for today's message. So there. Um, <laughs> so as I mentioned, the, the primarily the, the gospel accounts that, that covered the, the birth of Jesus. Mark just kind of, Mark is an interesting gospel. Uh, he just, he hits the ground running. It's a very fast-paced gospel, and he just goes right past the whole birth thing. It's like, yeah, 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 well, let the other guys deal with that. But Matthew and Luke give a, a pretty exhaustive treatment of Jesus' birth. There's also a large body of prophetic literature in the Old Testament that point to these events. So just by being born, the number of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is remarkable. So as I mentioned, Luke lays down the historic background as he makes it easier for us to enter the different scenes that he puts forth here. He, it's interesting. And the way this breaks down, I'll just give you the, the, the overview, the flyover here, is first he talks about the empire, and then he shifts scenes to Palestine, and then he shifts scenes again to the fields and then to the manger. So he, he's, he jumps around, but he establishes, his, he's laying groundwork here, for the birth of Jesus by giving us what's happening in the empire, what's happening in Palestine, and then what's happening in that stable. So uh, let's get started here. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it together. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So we begin as Luke is taking us back, again, looking at these things from 2,000 years ago, to a time when Caesar Augustus was ruling the empire. Now, Luke says that Caesar had issued this decree that all the world should be registered. He says, all the world. Interesting. At that time, the Roman Empire was the dominant governing force in the world. Spanned across a huge territory, all the way from down into Africa, across Asia, into Europe. The, the, the known world at that time was Rome. It was part of the empire. And these nations that they had conquered along the way. So included in that was the land of Palestine. We call it Israel. At that, in that, that day, it was called Palestine. Uh, there are those that would like to call it Palestine again, but that's a whole different study. This little country, this small nation on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Rome. And Luke takes us from that to this. So the people would be, they'd be required to register with Rome for a couple of reasons. The first is for taxation. Rome was known for putting a heavy burden of taxation on its citizens. Uh, 
The second reason for requiring the census would be for them to organize political and, and military authority in imposing Roman rule. Uh, very much like, you know, we've been going through this whole redistricting thing because of the last election and all of that, or the census, I mean. And, and so uh, what they were doing was establishing where they needed to project force, where they needed to add more troops, where they needed to move people around, and who they needed to send from Rome to be the prefects in the different regions. So that was part of the census as well. Now, something that a lot of people don't know is that Caesar Augustus was not his real name. His real name was Gaius Octavius. Interesting guy. The term Caesar was a title. It's very much like we would call somebody our president. Or not. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I just had to do that. Or an emperor. It was a title. But Augustus, that was the name that was given to him, to this emperor, which meant majestic or sublime one. And it opened the door for the claim to deity because the emperors in Rome insisted on being worshipped as deity, as as gods. Uh, I could get into a whole thing there, but that was part of why they named these guys the way that they did. Interesting, later on, when people would come to recognize Jesus as Lord, that would cause a huge problem with the Romans, and it would bring about significant persecution because every Caesar insisted that they be cited as Lord. Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. And so it would set up this conflict. People suffered greatly at the hands of Rome as a result. So Caesar Augustus saw himself as the supreme ruler in that day, and he was. He was the ruler of the known world at that time. However, what he didn't know was was that as the sovereign ruler of Rome, that the sovereign ruler of the universe was going to actually work through him in issuing this decree. Caesar made the decree, but God had his hand on it. He was aligning people, aligning circumstances, aligning events to bring about his purposes. Folks, I I want to remind you, we live in a world that seems to be crumbling. We live in a world that that is, it, it looks like it's spinning out of control. We live in a culture that's disintegrating. God's working. God is moving. He is silently aligning things behind the scenes. And as we see here in in this account of the birth of Jesus, both Caesar and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, none of them had an idea of what was really going on. Take courage. I look at this and I see that, yeah, God was doing this behind the scenes. You know, Caesar has this, I have an idea Let's tax the people. Have them go to their home cities. Great. And the Lord fulfilling his purposes through it. Verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So Luke begins with taking us into the scene of what is happening in the Roman Empire in verses 1 through 3. Now he shifts the scene to a long ways from Rome, as I mentioned, to Palestine, as it was known in that day. 
specifically to the city of Nazareth, which was in the region of Galilee. Now, Israel or Palestine was divided into three sections. There was the northern section of Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is and all of that. In the center of that region was the land known as Samaria. You see Jesus with a Samaritan woman there in John chapter, was it four? Uh, and in all of that, uh, great story there. And then in the southern part, the southern area was known as Judea. And now that encompassed a lot of the different territories from some of the tribes back then. We know that Judah was south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in the, the, the land of Benjamin. But the Romans had apportioned these areas, not according to the tribal lineage of Israel, but according to how they wanted to set up their government. So Judea was really, it was the, the, the whole southern region of that area. So the distance now between Nazareth and Bethlehem was about 90 miles. And so what he's saying in this, he makes this decree and the people have to get up and leave where they're living to go back to their hometown to get registered for this thing, is that Joseph and Mary, and Mary, I mean, <laughs> I remember <laughs> a, a, a pregnant woman doesn't travel well. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you moms, you everybody's. I mean, she is just about due. Think about it, ladies. You're out to here with a baby, and you've got to walk 90 miles. We know that they didn't have a lot of money. They, they were poor. They, I mean, these were people that were, they lived in an agrarian culture, and what they worked for now was maybe they could eat next week or next year, but they didn't bank a lot. They didn't have a lot. They were commoners. So what it would be left to them to do as they went to register for this census was to walk. That's a significant trip, especially with a pregnant woman. So prior to this, we know that both Mary and Joseph had been visited by an angel. Uh, he had informed that, them that, that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're told that Mary was with her husband-to-be, her betrothal, her betrothed husband, but they weren't yet married. And so there they are making this trip. Uh, I, I would love to rabbit trail on that because that whole thing followed Jesus. All the, I mean, you look in John chapter 8, and and the, the religious leaders uh, are accusing Jesus of being illegitimate, which tells me that there was a snare on Mary's life, all of her days. At any rate, so coming back to this trip, imagine with me for a moment the conversations that would have gone on between Mary and Joseph during these 90 miles. Mary would have been told that her son would be God's son. She'd been told that her son would be great. She'd been told that her son would grow up and rule on the throne of David. She'd been told that her son would rule over Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there would be no end. Think about it. Again, blow the dust off of the, 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 
the Sunday school version of the birth of Jesus and think about what would be going through this young girl. She's probably 16 years old. She was probably a young girl. And she's walking along with this man that she's not yet married to. And she's, she knows that, and she's seen this angel. He's told her these things. Interesting too, they didn't go onto the internet and Google baby names. For that matter, the average couple in that day, there would be no way for them to know the gender of their child. But they'd been told. The angel had told them, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. So consider this uh, further with me. How do you care for God's son? (laughs) Do you you give him a flu shot? (laughs) Do you homeschool him? What do you do? I mean, seriously, guys. Think about it. This truly happened. This really happened. What would, and of course, Mary's not thinking about flu shots. <laughs> I talked to somebody before service, said somebody wasn't feeling good. And in my mind, I went, I wonder if they had a flu shot. But anyway, but seriously, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? The Bible doesn't tell us. There's a whole lot of information left out. And I can only imagine, and I want to be careful here. I don't want to read things into the scripture or spiritualize it. But I can only imagine the conversations that would have gone on between her and Job. Uh, I mean, this is an amazing, amazing account. And Joseph's thinking, <laughs> my fiance is going to have God's son, right? Mary's thinking, how do I raise God's son? I mean... Just the news from the angel would have totally changed these people forever. I think in a very minor way, uh, I remember being really freaked out. There's uh, from the vernacular of when I was growing up. Um, I didn't, I didn't ask to get ordained as a pastor. <laughs> it was sprung on me. And, and I was at a men's retreat, uh, with Calvary Chapel down in Gridley, California. This is in 1994. And, and, uh, at the end of a particular thing, this one evening, there's, I don't know, a whole bunch of guys there. And, and Bob, my pastor said, we're gonna, we, we're, we're gonna do something tonight. We're gonna ordain John. And they laid hands on me and they ordained me as a pastor. And I was absolutely undone. I came away from that. I mean, I went off by myself right afterwards because, you know, these guys are saying congratulations, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking, what do I do with this, Lord? I have no idea what to do with I don't know. I was freaked out. I was undone. It was like, I didn't sign up for this, but evidently there's something that you're doing. And that's a very minor example of what would be going on in these two people's minds and hearts as God reveals to them this new thing that he's doing. You're going to birth the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that Israel has waited for for generations. I would imagine, we'll look further here in the text, where it says that Mary was was treasuring these things, pondering these things in her heart. Oh, I bet she was. Throughout Israel's history, the people had come to expect that one would be born, that God would send a deliverer. Young girls in their culture would have been instructed, perhaps you will be the one 
to bring this awaited one into the world. And now Mary, thinking to herself, is fully realizing she is the one carrying this child. Oh, indeed, the 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Galilee, uh, in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea, would have been a remarkable, remarkable walk. And a difficult one as well. What a time for them as they're traveling along. Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Joseph and Mary would have arrived in Bethlehem very close to the time that she was going to deliver. We're told that the days were completed for her to uh, have the baby. So, thinking about the inn, all right, this isn't like Super 8, all right? The inn in those days would have been in in a town where they would lodge travelers, is there would be a certain place that would have a central enclosure, uh, this, this large area in the middle, and as you went through the door, the large doorway, you could bring your donkey or your animal, your ox, whatever, and tie it up in the center of this enclosure because that's how people travel. So it's like you walk in and there's the parking lot, right? (laughs) Around the perimeter of the central area would be a whole bunch of small rooms. That was what the inn would have been like in those days. So a couple of different things here. When they're told that there's no room for them in the inn, it could have been truly there was no room at all Or, another thing, Mary was possibly already in labor. And there was no place for for her to deliver the baby at the end. Don't know. But that fits with Middle Eastern hospitality. I've always struggled with, you know, some guy with a cigar sticking out of his mouth. Hey, no room here. You know, that's, that's not how it went. Middle Eastern people are extremely hospitable. And they would have done everything they could to accommodate strangers. We've talked about uh, philozenia, or xeno, yeah, philozenia, which means hospitality towards strangers, or the love of strangers. It was a big deal in their culture. So I don't believe that they were, were ejected or rejected. I believe there just wasn't either. There wasn't room. Or they realized that her need was greater than they could accommodate. Either way. Um, there wasn't room. They weren't able to stay where they had intended. So they found a stable outside the inn, of course. So now I have a slide here. This is a photo. I took this on a pastor's trip uh, a few years ago. I was studying, went through on a study tour through the land. We were studying the life of David. Uh, there is a lot of limestone in this area. This is not too far outside of Bethlehem. And, and this isn't the place. <laughs> Nobody knows where that is. Could have been. This is right outside uh, the city. However, there are a lot of these limestone overhangs that you'd see. And the shepherds in those days would use those to house their sheep. They would build a stone wall around the outside of it. And they would have shelter from the elements and be able to uh, tend their flocks there. We don't know. 
probably wasn't what you see on Christmas cards where you see a nice little wooden building, <laughs> a little stick-built building, and all of that. It was probably a very primitive uh, enclosure, a primitive shelter. So as we go through this, we want to realize that it's here, perhaps in, a, in an overhang, but in a place where they tended to animals, that Mary, again, a teenage girl, far from home, the man with whom she was engaged but not yet married, would give birth to the Son of God. Think, people. The Son of God. God, the Son. Remarkable. After that, she would then take him and wrap him in swaddling cloth. Now, these are strips of cloth that were commonly used by shepherds. When when a sheep gave birth to a lamb, they would take and they would wrap these strips of cloth around the lambs so that they could protect them from the elements as they were newborn. Don't know if she brought swaddling cloths with her on the trip, anticipating she was going to have the child, or they obtained them while they were there because they were there for the animals. But she took and she gently wrapped her newborn baby tightly in these. They would wrap them tightly around their bodies to protect them. And it was at this point that she gently lay Jesus in a primitive trough. It was a manger. It was used to feed animals. Uh, I picture that. I, again, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the manger. But it probably wasn't pretty. Probably wasn't ornate. It might have had goo on it. I don't know. I mean, it was an animal feeding trough. It was the lowest place you could lay a child. That's the point. Think about it. Joseph and Mary were virtually unknown, yet had been chosen to care for this, this, this great gift to humanity. The greatest gift that had ever been given They've been chosen to care for God's own son. We've read the story. We know the story. But do we? How overwhelming would it be if you were Mary or if you were Joseph? Interesting question. Verse 8. Now we're there, there were, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So now Luke takes us to a third scene here, and it's nighttime out in the fields of Bethlehem with the shepherds and their sheep. Alright? It's dark. <laughs> they didn't have, you know, there was, there was no ambient light from the city like we have here. Uh, unless the moon was out, it would be really dark. So, uh, and think about, too, these shepherds, they would have to be pretty rugged guys. I mean, these guys live out there <laughs> in the elements 24-7. And these guys, too, would be virtually unknown. In their region, perhaps known. But in the empire, total unknown. We don't know their names. Never will know their names this side of heaven. Something. The reason I bring that out, folks, is, is there is an aloneness in these last two scenes. Mary and Joseph are alone 
in an obscure outdoor shelter to given birth to a baby. The shepherds are alone, living in the fields outside of town with their flocks. This wasn't a, a, a widely publicized event. This wasn't a premiere. This was something that happened quietly and in obscurity, at least to begin with. So while all of this is going on, the world had absolutely no idea what God was doing. Verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Remember, as I mentioned, ambient light was not a thing then. Have you ever had some guy or girl? I remember camping trips. There was always somebody that wanted to turn the flashlight and stick it right in my eyes. And when your eyes are adjusted to the dark, your pupils are huge. You get hit with some bright light, and and it messes you up. <laughs> and I think about these these shepherds out in the field. They're looking at the, whether the moon was out or not. Their eyes are adjusted to the dark, and all of a sudden it is bright. The glory of the Lord, we're told here, shone around them. They would they would be completely undone. It says they were greatly afraid. These big tough shepherds. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Remember, <laughs> these guys, they don't have, they're not looking for this. They're just going about their business. It's an average night. Perhaps the angel began to speak as their eyes began to adjust to the light. Uh, we don't know. And in verse 10, we read, then the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So first, the angel has to instruct them not to be afraid. (laughs) Both they and the angel knew that this was no longer an ordinary night. The angel goes on to explain to them why they don't need to be afraid, because he brings good news. That's what tidings means. Good tidings. It means good news. The same root word for the the, the word gospel. So again, think with me about this. Whenever the glory of God appears to men, there is a universal response. Fear. You look in God's word and you see that, that without fail, when the glory of God shows up, people are either on their faces or they are at least greatly afraid, as it says here. And I believe that's at least in part due to the fact that when the glory of God shows up, I see my utter sinfulness before God. I believe that that God's light exposes darkness and we all have darkness in our souls. That's why Jesus came. That's why Isaiah responded to the glory of God with, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's why the Apostle John, we see in the book of Revelation, that when he sees Jesus in his glory, he says, I fell at his feet as a dead man. Jesus' response to John is the same as the angel's response to these shepherds. He comes over, he puts his hand on John, and he says, don't be afraid. Verse 11, for there is born to you, this is the angels talking here, or the angel, 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. So let's look at this carefully. (laughs) He says, there is born to you a Savior. So the Savior, literally, there is born to you one who will rescue you, one who will save you. Think about the wording. He says, that this child is, that's born is heaven's gift to you. And this child is a savior. The statement that the angel makes to the shepherds is amazing. And it begs the question, what is mankind's greatest need? And it's the need for a savior. Our sins separate us from God. We desperately need to be rescued and forgiven. For our sins, for our guilt, for our shame. This child is the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis chapter 3. That from the seed of the woman, he would send forth someone to rescue. He would send forth the Savior. Genesis 3 being the account of the fall of man. From that point, man needed to be rescued. Utterly helpless on his own. So when he says here, Christ the Lord, that Christ simply means the anointed one. It's the word we get Messiah from. Uh, It means the deliverer. And the Lord means ruler of all. So that baby lying in the feed trough was God. And God, seeing humanity's great need, had taken on flesh. I want you to note this remarkable account can be described as the highest being entering through the lowest door. The creator becoming part of his own creation. You talk about Jesus coming in humility. This is a pretty humble entry. I want to point out, Jesus was not born in a palace He wasn't born in Rome. He wasn't born in Jerusalem where the temple of the Jews stood. He was born in a simple shelter, which was likely used to house animals. In a small town about six miles south of Jerusalem. And as the prophet Micah had described 650 years before, he was born in Bethlehem. The creator and sovereign ruler of the universe was being held in the arms of a teenage girl. Absolutely amazing. Breathtaking. When you really consider what's going on here. For what purpose? Why was all of this taking place? Why would God elect this time and these people and these events to come about? Because this is his plan from eternity past. And his purpose was for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a tremendous gift. Also think about this. The ruler of the empire, Caesar Augustus, (laughs) that proud man who would want to be worshipped as God, had no clue as to what was taking place. 
this night. He slept like he always did. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, those pompous men, full of themselves, slept peacefully in their own beds that night. They had no idea. They had no idea that this baby born in obscurity would one day rule the nations. Amazing. He would one day be hailed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They had no idea the day would come when every knee, every knee would bow, including theirs. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Folks, apply this knowledge to your life today. Don't walk out of here not being impacted by what God's word has to tell us in this. In a time when evil is tightening its hold on our world, gripping our leaders, tearing apart the fabric of our society, I'll tell you what, it is so encouraging, even exhilarating, to know that God is working silently, intentionally, effectively, carrying out His plans and His purposes for our world. Praise God. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So here these shepherds, they're out in the fields, they're just minding their own business, they're doing what they do, and this light shines about them, totally blinds them, I believe, for a moment anyway. And as they begin to focus, there's this angel there, and he begins to lay these things out to them, and then all of a sudden, spontaneously, the heavenly host appears, and they're all worshiping. I'm going to talk about worship next week, by the way. The point is, that was a plug, But the point is, all of a sudden, it's like heaven can't hold back. That that heaven just bursts forth. And this angelic host, this multitude, they're worshiping God. They're exalting God. And they're speaking blessing towards this earth and towards its inhabitants. I've got to mention... When they're saying peace on earth, peace with God can only be known to those who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Is that an exclusive claim? (laughs) You bet. Yeah. All roads don't lead to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Singular, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you reconciled that in your own heart? And I trust that you have. If you haven't, do it today. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass. (laughs) which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, just like the angels had said. Or the angel, not angels. Point is, they, 
as quickly as this event began out in the fields, it ends. And we don't know how long the angelic host was there. But suddenly we see that night returned to these shepherds and they're once again in the dark. But they were changed. You got to know these guys were changed and they would be changed forever. Think again, if that was you out there and you're just going along minding your business. Folks, I, I, I think about this and I think about when, when the trump of the archangel blasts, that last trump that we're waiting for, when the dead in Christ will rise and meet with him in the air and those of us who are alive and remain will also go to meet with him. When Jesus takes the church off of this earth, it'll be just another day. It'll be just a mundane thing that we're doing, not him. But that's how God operates. That's why he says, you know, when you see these things coming about, when you see the birth pangs, and we're seeing birth pangs, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Again, folks, it'll be just another day. That's why Jesus said, Whenever the guys ask him, tell us, Lord, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? He wouldn't tell them when. Both times they asked him. But he put the emphasis on, you be ready. You be in a place in your life where you're ready for my return. You're ready for my taking you out of here. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they, and they, they got in a hurry. They made haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby and the manger. So the text doesn't tell us that obviously God directed them to the place. I mean, they didn't just stumble along asked for directions. Nobody knew what was going on. But I think, I think it's significant that other than his parents, these shepherds would be the first human beings to lay their eyes on the Son of God. God in human flesh. The infinite had become finite. The invisible had become visible. The creator had entered his creation. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So here's an interesting thought about the shepherds. Uh, They had not been seminary trained. (laughs) They're shepherds. They hadn't been taught the Roman road or the four spiritual laws. They hadn't gone to evangelism class. We're going to have one, by the way, beginning of the year. But we see in Ephesians that Jesus gifted the church. And as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, God has called some as apostles, some as prophets, also some as evangelists. In reality here, these 
earthly shepherds became the first evangelists. They just simply went out and told others what they had come to know, what they had seen with their own eyes. That's what evangelism is, folks. It's not, it's, it's not, yeah, we, I understand, and we like to have methods that help us to remember how to present the gospel, and that's a good thing. But simply, evangelism is going out and telling other people what's happened to you. Very effective. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So the shepherds went back to their flocks. But as I mentioned, they had to be changed men. Their testimony about this child could not be stopped. You could not. If you got with one of those shepherds, you would not be able to shut him up. I guarantee you, if this happened to you, if it happened to me, it would be the first thing out of my mouth. I was just doing my thing that night. And this light came and blinded me. I, I was totally terrified. And then this angel starts talking to me. And as he's talking to me, this whole myriad of angels shows up. They're all praising God. They're all worshiping. And they're pronouncing blessing on the earth and on men. You couldn't shut these guys up. Wouldn't you be changed? Are you changed? Because folks, the things that these men saw with their eyes are the things that we see with our hearts. And do I believe them? Because as I do, I'm changed. I'm changed. I remember a late autumn day in 1983, in September of 1983. I was just doing my thing. I was just, a friend of my daughter's had invited me to this church. And so I went, well, okay, I'll go. You know, hopefully they won't try to manipulate me. They won't try to nail me down. They won't put, parade me up front or, you know, those other things that you think about. As an unbeliever, it wasn't about God. It was about me. Because I'm self-centered. So are you. At any rate... <laughs> At any rate, I went to this church. And I, I, I cannot tell you what took place in my heart, in my life, as God revealed himself to me in the most powerful way I had ever experienced at the end of this message. And I was hanging on every word that the preacher said. And, and it, yeah, he was a good teacher. I it came to know that as time went on, but I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that this Jesus guy was somebody I needed to know. At the end of the service, he, he said, let's all bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. And, and he began to pray. And he said, if you want to receive Jesus, I want you to look up and meet my eye. And I went, no, not me. Not a chance. Not now. No, no. You are not going to manipulate me with this religious stuff. And all I can tell you is what happened after that. The Lord impressed upon him to just let it be silent in that room. It seemed like a year. My heart began to beat out of my chest. My palms got sweaty. I had a physiological response going, and I it was and I was freaked out. It was kind of like those shepherds, like, what is going on? Try not to get emotional about this because it was the day that my life changed. 
after he let it hang for about 45 seconds or so, he said, quietly, into his mic, he said, I don't know who you are, but there's someone here this morning who's holding back. I want to encourage you, my friend. Let go. Give your life to Christ. I broke. Never the same. I, I, it was it was the most remarkable single event of my life. Folks, if you have not done business with Jesus Christ, let go. Give your life to Christ. If you've been holding back, if there's an area of your life, perhaps you're a churchgoer, but you realize you've not been sold out wall to wall. That your life has not been impacted to the degree that these shepherds were impacted, to the degree that this young couple wandering around for 90 miles was impacted. Give your life to Christ. Let him invade your soul. Let him work in you in ways that perhaps you have never opened the door for him to work. This is free, by the way. It's not in my notes. <laughs> we also read that Mary kept all these things and pondered. Literally, that means that God, she gave careful consideration to them in her heart. Oh, I bet she had a lot to think about. She had a lot to contemplate. So think about it, mom. What would go through your mind as you held this child in your arms? Think about it, dad. This woman that you're not married to got pregnant. And the angel had told you that it was by the Holy Spirit. And that she was going to birth the son of God. What would go through your mind? Mary and Joseph would go on after this. They would flee from Herod to Egypt and eventually travel back to their family in Nazareth as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. As we wrap up, I have a question. Does it seem at times like God is not listening? Are there times where he seems distant? Even surreal? Be honest. I go through times like that. I'm a pastor. I go through times like that. I think, Lord, where are you? I don't sense your presence. I I need your touch. Take courage. Know that God is always at work. He works ahead of us. Always. He's positioning people, even now, today. Positioning people, aligning circumstances, and he's silently accomplishing his purposes for mankind. But that's the big picture. It also includes you. What you're facing. That thing you might be going through, that trial that's weighing you down. A person you might be having trouble with. As we read this account of the birth of Jesus with fresh eyes, it's my prayer as your pastor and your friend and your brother that this Christmas 
you have a better understanding. You have a greater trust. Especially that you have a deeper love for our God and King, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, time goes by quickly. There is so much to be said, and yet, Lord, we trust that it's enough. That you so loved the world that you sent your only begotten Son to come to hang on that cross for us. Humble beginnings, obscure beginnings, and yet the name that would be above every name would be that which your Son possesses. Lord, work in us. Give us a hunger for you. Give us a passion in our walk with you. Give us a desire to know you more. Lord, we surrender. We surrender our hearts afresh to you. Do with us as you will. Not according to our plans, but according to yours, because we have a, a just a, a, a renewed um, understanding that you're orchestrating the events in our lives. We're grateful this morning. We pray that you would receive our worship now as we wrap up this service. But Lord, let it not end here. Let us go forward from this place. Let us understand that you dwell with us personally by your spirit and that you give us good gifts. You've given us the greatest gift and we're forever grateful in Jesus' name.